Hello and welcome to The Fandomentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. I've spent my life trying to build something here. Growing up, a non-white, non-straight girl in Blue Springs, Nebraska. I wouldn't wish to excite your anticipation. I never asked to be made! You're exactly the hero I wanted you to be. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by Ars Sonar, available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me we have Gretchen. Hello. Julia. Hi, everyone. And joining us, a very special guest and fellow editor for The Fundamentals, Elizabeth. Hello. And as I just said, we are editors for the fundamentalist.com. Oh my god, for the fundamentals.com. Wow, that was, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, the fundamentals.com, uh, for fundamentally sound fandom analysis, uh, news reviews. We're getting into the TV off season, so probably a lot more analysis and deeper pieces coming up, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, definitely not the off season for comics though, or anything nope. of that nature. Winona Earp is going to be a um, oh games. yeah games and Winona Earp is a summer show. Yeah, I, I like summer shows because they never take themselves seriously. So I always except have for Game of Thrones. <laughs> is that a show? I've never heard of it. What? I don't know what that is. Is that a thing? Um, maybe we should check it out this year. What do you think? Hmm. I, yeah, just this year with no prior knowledge. I wonder how that would go for anyone. <laughs> I hear oh it's God. dramatically <laughs> satisfying. Mm. Well, I hear I there's want chicken to be dramatically chips. satisfied. <laughs> Well, that sounds vaguely carnal. <laughs> okay, I'm sure the critics so can't be wrong. Let's start things off by talking about fandom news and everything going on in the geeky space. Oh my god, Red Letter Media, I'm sorry, has ruined me for doing this podcast because now I feel like we need to start off with like, but first a word from our sponsor, Nerd Coffin, or like they <laughs> <laughs> sarcastically advertise. Nerd insurance. Oh my god. Nerd glasses. Uh, no. Nerd glasses was my favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I liked that. And you can't have the setting where everything is just a Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. Movie. Oh, if you guys don't know what it is, go to YouTube and watch the Nerd Crew by Red Letter Media. It's hilarious. It's a sarcastic podcast, sort of aimed at like geeky fandom mediums now, and like how people engage with that. Yeah, uh, it's great. But yeah, let's let's start off by just talking about some quick geeky news. It's actually a little bit of a light week because the heavy hitting topic is what we're going to be spending a full segment talking about. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. Let's get but through this stuff. Come on. First, <laughs> hey, remember when LeFou was really gay at the end of Beauty and the Beast? So gay, guys. Woo. Well, bas- pastime. basically the Black Panther, um, like, people involved with the movie have been like, yeah, okay, we have obvious, obvious flirting between two women and it's not just going to be a blink and you miss it kind of moment. Uh, and it's between the Dinah Guerrero from uh, The Walking Dead and Florence Kasumba, who play who played Io from Civil War, and they play like two warrior bodyguards on their yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm skept- I'll believe it when I see it. Right? I was like, I'm skeptical. Like, I mean, I'm sure they'll seem like very good friends to most Movies people. are just so lame <laughs> compared to TV shows. I'm no, sorry. Really yeah. I know. Yep. But we'll see, we'll see what they do. If, if it's not, if it's not Beauty and the Beast level, I'll be happy. <laughs> yep. On to good news. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <gasps> Steven Uni- uh, Yes. Oh yes, Steven. No, go ahead, Gretchen. <laughs> Steven Universe is getting an official soundtrack. <laughs> so oh, I, I don't have to listen no. to it on YouTube. Anymore. Right? I use SoundCloud and I've made like playlists on SoundCloud. Yes. So I feel bad because I've had a CD of illegally <gasps> downloaded music for a really long time. Come on, I don't know. So I ripped them off of YouTube. Yeah, yeah exactly. Why would you? I mean, how else are you going to get them? But exactly. uh, no, I actually think I will buy this too and just support uh, yeah, it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to buy it. Or it'll probably be on Spotify. Yeah, yeah if there's one thing I'm happy to put my money towards, it's Rebecca Sugar's mm-hmm. music. Yeah, it's coming out June 2nd, so. Mm-hmm. Not that long. And it's going to be ukulele, like a ukulele songbook. That's for sure. <gasps> they should. That'd be perfect. Or a guitar one. I yeah. can buy it for my son. The ukulele one would be really easy. Although, w- fair warning, Rebecca is a fan of seventh chords. So know your E7s if you're going to try to play anything. Your buddy, Rebecca? My buddy, Rebecca, from down the block. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you were my buddy, Rebecca. Oh, my that God. That would be so awesome. 
hey, Ms. Sugar, would you like to come on a podcast? It'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be great. So much fun. Yeah. Oh, hop on, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something that's coming out a little bit sooner. Actually, Julia, you might be able yes. to. Yes. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I, I might have like a countdown on my phone. Um, Sensate, the second season of Sensate, which I'm terrified of because sophomore slumps seem to be a curse lately. Mm. But I'm so excited because the Christmas special was not disappointing, even though. Well, maybe yeah. it's the comeback of the year. I hope so. Yeah, maybe it will follow in the um, the path of Black Sails, which yes, which is, the second season was just amazing. amazing. Um, for for reference, I was <clears throat> quoting a Fallout Boy song. <laughs> yeah, okay. Sure. I wasn't gonna point it out. <laughs> I appreciate that, but I feel like I need to hang a lampshade on my own issues. I mean, the Christmas the Christmas special, which was like, it still annoys me that they called it a Christmas special because there's hardly any Christmas in it. But um, it kind of ended on a cliffhanger, and mm. like, there's all sorts of shit going on and like shit like stuff's about to get really real i think and hopefully a bunch of like peripheral characters will actually be involved in the central storyline too and not just the same three that are just very very prominent and all white um so here's hoping i mean it's it's one of those things that's not a problem yet but it could become a problem if it continues, you know? Oh, like right. uh, butch, rep- butch representation on Steven Universe? Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and actually, Gretchen, you know, that was a really good point about sophomore slumps where you mentioned Black Sails, because I think, I mean, the second season to me is the strongest season of that show. Yeah. And I Even think the large part of that, yeah, they like went in knowing they only had four seasons, and I think that helped a lot. So mm-hmm. I guess it just, I don't know what Sensei's plan is. I think a lot of it depends, though. Yeah. Right. Um, hey, speaking of Netflix, though, uh, you guys have, like, a week or two left. Scrubs is actually leaving Netflix around the same time, early May. So, binge watch if you care. I don't. I don't either. <laughs> but, <laughs> Scrubs is kind of, uh, it's one of those shows that went on way too long. Yeah. I mean, every time I've watched a Scrubs episode, I'm just like, I mean, I guess. I mean, I mean they had their musical episode about, like, six months before the term bromance was coined. And they had a song about bromances without using the term bromance. They called it guy love between two guys. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was like, you should have waited six months to <laughs> have this man. perfect word. Yeah. Guy love, I kind of like guy love between two guys. It's, it's very, it's very like, yeah, bro. Yeah. I don't know. It, it doesn't bring up quite the right mental image. <laughs> no, but it's perfect. Is this sort of like a like a cottage in the forest versus a cabin in the woods kind of situation? <laughs> <laughs> now, JD and Turk are a lot like me and Kylie. Like, I get how people get that impression, but no. Yeah. If you want to hurt me, then you are succeeding, Julia. Um, <laughs> God, who ordered this list? What kind of an idiot is this person? Uh, next piece of news. There's just no elegant way to transition into this, but Rusi B, the actor who plays Rusey. him, which is, oh my God, what's this actor's name? Why did I do this? Uh, who cares? He's going to be Rusi B for the rest of his life, poor guy. I know. Uh, Michael McEl- Michael McElhatton. Which I'm not pronouncing well, but he, I think he's a wonderful actor. Mm-hmm. And I think he's oddly hot, so <laughs> sue me. He's gonna be in the Justice League movie, apparently playing a really, quote, funny role. Huh. Um. That's yeah. not a word I would think of yeah, that's in Justice type. League. No. Or I was thinking him more like Macbeth, not a comical character. He was just so good as Roos. It's hard to imagine mm, him not yeah. being cold and calculating. Yeah. Or whatever he was in the last season, because I don't know. Mostly dead, He I was think. emoting real hard. <laughs> the Lannisters send their regards, guys. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, speaking of comic book movies, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is going to have not one, not two, but five post-credit scenes. Like, what? Why I'm just putting it in the movie They have to warn us so we don't leave the theater early. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so stupid. I think two is pushing it already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. Some of them do the mid credit and then after credit thing. You're like, oh, I see what you did there. But they, I mean, they just really have to plug every single bit of Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh I my think. gosh, I know they have so much advertising and so little time. I mean, oh. like that's when you you know go back to the drawing board and really think through your ideas and see how you can get all that information in like two, yeah, instead of five. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be some tie-in to the overarching 
infinity something plot. An infinity stone thing that I do not get Gauntlet. at all. Some comic book character that like people who read comic books really seriously will recognize, but no one else does. Yay! Um, I, I have, I'm sorry, I have, like, no interest in Marvel these days. <laughs> um, Understandably. I think the only franchise worth a damn is X-Men, and they're trying to, like, kick it out so that they can replace it with Inhumans, because they have rights to Inhumans, and they don't have in- rights to X-Men. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, um, long-time readers know that God knows I tried with Marvel, but I don't miss it at all. I just, like, like some of their next with the Avengers. Shows. Yeah. I, like, I mean, I don't watch Jessica Jones, but I support it wholeheartedly. Oh, no, I mean, I, like, I'm mostly incidentally Marvel, I feel, you know. Mm, that's a good way of putting it. Like, yeah. I watched it without knowing anything about Marvel. Jessica so. Jones and Luke Cage, like, they're, the, oh, the Netflix shows are all starting to tie together, although Iron Fist was such a, you know, turd. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen moving forward, but, like, they do a pretty good job it with the It was a Net- successful turd, so. Yeah, that was yeah. popular. Well, it's because it's on Netflix and everyone wants to check it out. If nothing else, why is everyone calling it so boring? Oh, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean... It's probably going to get a season two because of the numbers, but... Yeah. Yeah, like, they do a good job on the Netflix show. A- Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been spotty as hell for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I mean... I don't miss that either. I just... And, again, yeah, the X-Men know what franchise. To Agent Carter. Oh, God. So, yeah, season two <laughs> happened. <laughs> That's what happened. That's love. Let's get rid of Peggy. Or not Peggy, uh, Angie. Good call. Yeah. yeah. All right. Hey, speaking, speaking of... Yeah, speaking of Netflix. Oh, so I no, no, take no. This- I was gonna say, Gretchen. I'm sorry. I was gonna say, speaking of sort of noir esque, definitely lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a good one. But I want to say this because I sent this information to Julia. I just have to say, I sent this information to Julia two days ago. I think you mean Kylie. You sent it to both of us. Yeah, you sent you sent it to the editor group chat too. Because uh, I saw this. Yeah, be- but it was overnight, so <laughs> Kylie didn't see it. And then I put it on the news today, and she was like, what? Why didn't you tell me? And I was like, I did. Thanks for not paying attention to me. But mm-hmm. the news is, is that Carmen Sandiego is going to be an animated show on Netflix. There already, there's already been a Carmen Sandiego animated show. Yes. But it has Jane the Virgin uh, yeah. voicing her. G- Gina Rodriguez is going to be voicing Carmen Sandiego, and I am so I excited. I am like, I can't explain how excited I am. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Kylie, you wrote fic. I yeah. did. I I will to die in San Diego. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I I make I make no denials. <laughs> no, I mean like you guys have no idea how excited I am not just because of the fic that I wrote but because like I know this is never going to happen. I know this is never going to happen. But if they actually made Jules Argent her ex-girlfriend, yeah. if they have a fraught relationship. Oh my gosh. That would be amazing. Somebody owe you royalties? Because they were ex-partners. I mean, please, if there's a god out there. Ex- yeah, when uh, she used to work for Acme. That's Because yes. that's Carmen Sandiego who's a fallen Acme agent who then created Vile because mm-hmm. she wanted heists. But Jules Argent, oh, and please, just please make this happen if there's any kind of yes. RP. <laughs> that would be amazing. But there is one piece of news that has trumped every <laughs> bit of news. <laughs> What? <laughs> I, I'm humming my demo butterfly. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I thought you were trying to do Star Wars. It's like, what? I am not <laughs> recognizing that. But, but speaking of Star Wars. You've just been singing some dumb song. Right. So the Star Wars trailer dropped. Like, Star Wars Episode Eight. I think it's just a teaser, isn't it? Well, mm. it has it has footage from the actual movie. Yeah, I don't understand the difference between teaser. I guess shorter. I mean, my opinion is not enough Leia. I think yeah. you see the back of her head once. Yeah, sure. Uh, I would say not enough pu- uh, Finn. No, definitely not enough. We see no. his comatose face once, and we see Poe like running epically, which is cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. But we do get we do get Ray doing a kind of like um Jean Grey. Yes. Oh my god, like I love that shot. Oh. Sty- t- like styled shot if I can talk clearly where like the rocks are rising off the ground. That was pretty mm-hmm. awesome. I think the opening um, shot is her like she'd done some really intense cardio and now she's really tired. And <laughs> we get the line about Luke's guilt and yeah, I'm the Jedi have to end. Jedi guilt. I'm yeah. done. 
I have died and ascended to a higher plane. <laughs> guilt. I mean, because I was, I was kind of worried this was going to be a soft reboot number two. Right. So it would be like an Empire Strikes Back reboot. But then I was trying to think to myself how that would even work. Mm. Like, well, it's it's going to be like the darkest and most sexiest chapter. I don't know. Who's who's the sex between, Julia? The T3. Yes. I'm here for it. <laughs> Wait, for Jedi what? Jedi Storm Pilot. Yep. Oh, I... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Disney's there yet. <laughs> I don't care. I'm there. I am there. I'm totally there with you, Julia. Good. I just had representation in the form of LaFou. Like, <laughs> I just... Boy, I'd be surprised. Yep. Do not rain on my OT3 parade, ever. Because it's a wonderful parade. It is it's a beautiful parade. many floats, and they throw candy from the floats, and I'm happy. And it's interracial, and it's queer, and it's poly, and it's beautiful, and... I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. (laughs) Are you trying to imply that you do not think this is canon? I just would be surprised. Um, Oh, God, should we speak about ships? Because I I do want to say one thing. Yes. The Raylos had a spring in their step after the trailer and the poster were released. Okay, good for them. Uh, sure. I'm, I'm happy for them. Yep. But I li- I really liked the poster, actually. Yeah. I do too. I don't know. I, I wish that Kylo Ren would go away from the marketing a little more. Yep. I concur. I yep. think he's gonna... He, he has to have a turn. Like, Yeah, well, they have to do something with that character. And, like, it annoys me because he was a really wonderful antagonist until people started talking about him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's my feelings about that. <laughs> Yeah, because, like, if you listen to, like, the things we were saying about it right after mm-hmm. it came out, it was, like, such a perfect goddamn movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My friend did make it's a... Um, universe effect. Yeah. Yep. My friend did make a an image set from, based on the poster, because, like, you have the pic- the part where Ray is holding up, like, the blue lightsaber, and then, like, the color shifts to, like, red in the background, so she, like put it up with right next to the bi flag and was like, bisexual Ray confirms. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Amazing. I was like, I'm here for that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how anyone's getting anything conclusive out of this trailer. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, like a first trailer, a teaser trailer, they call it like, right. you're not supposed to get anything out of it. It's, you'll get as much you information guys, in that Game of Thrones trailer. You guys know you're talking about Star Wars, right? Like <laughs> I'm, I, I have YouTube open right now. And the first five videos are frame by frame breakdowns oh my of everything and background shots in this trailer. I, I mean, it looks real. Cool. This is why you guys need, this is why people need to go watch Red Letter Media because they make fun of this exact thing <laughs> and it's hilarious. Oh yeah, I, I like, they did, they did one of the episodes when The Last Jedi was real and they're like, I don't think we can say too much, but me personally, I think Luke is gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, looking at it, I think what I'm the most excited for is like, why are those ships dropping weird red gas? Oh, I want well, to know. Yeah, well, that think, was odd. I think what that is, is, um, they released information on that and it's a planet that has a lot of mineral deposits that are red but then overlaying the like red like soil is like a layer of, is like a crust of salt okay that's so why they saw this information already it. um they're just storing it up maybe yeah okay. so yeah like the the um the bottom part I of want the ship to know why is things like are stirring exploding up the and what the back of Leia's head is doing I just think that's a beautiful shot. Like that yeah. visual aesthetic it is a beautiful in shot. that shot is like fucking gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I mean and the, the whole thing is gorgeous. Picking I mean, on like it. the frame by frame is like you know frames yeah. that you can put on the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, it's just like the whole vibe of it too, with Luke being mm-hmm. like, I mean, you. like Red Letter Media and everything. We all know how cynical Disney is, but like I still haven't lost that joy I got when I saw The Force Awakens and, like, loved Star Wars again. I still haven't lost that. And this trailer didn't make it go away either. So no. I think that's the best thing you can say about a trailer ever. Right. Yeah. I, do, I like the idea. I totally think that but what Luke's saying about the Jedi ending is connected to the the extended canon has been really focusing on expanding the, like, the relationship to the Force beyond the, like, Jedi-Sith dichotomy. Yeah, I really um, like that. Yeah, and that's something that like I feel like is really intentional in the new extended I mean, canon. I mean, that like a honeypot that I think is like kind of gaining 
kind of philosophical prominence within the fandom is that, like, the prequels kind of proved how, like, fucked up and unsustainable a system the Jedi were. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Just, right. like, who are these assholes who sit around repressing their emotions? Like, and why should I be on their <laughs> side? And... Like, maybe we should They were be. also just, like, I'm sorry, but they were flushed out in the most ridiculous ways. Like, yeah. Like, even just stupid things. Oh, all the Jedi wear floppy robes. What? <clears throat> because Obi-Wan yeah, they wore, wore, they wear the exact robes. same outfit that farmers on Tatooine wear. Mm. Right. <laughs> right. Because, and it's like, just logistically, they have lightsabers. Why would they be wearing floppy fucking material with their lightsabers? <laughs> right? Like,. Oh yeah, yeah. So they're just doing dumb, that makes sense. and it's canon now that they're dumb, and or it's like, going or like to have Yoda, like, implications. Yoda teaching the group children classes, like, <laughs> oh, but it was so cute. Does, uh, okay, no, I'm just kidding. I think that like Obi Wan wearing robes makes sense because he's a drama queen and he likes to enter. <laughs> places and just like dramatically throw off his robe like that's i mean what like, he when does. he was he was hiding out on tatooine that made perfect sense right for the desert exactly. i think i think i saw a theory that ray like gets a robe so she can dramatically throw it off and they're like oh she's a kenobi confirmed yeah that yeah that's one of the fan theories i've seen floated that like that her having a robe confirms that she's a oh kenobi God, because the, she's just the like, ray heritage theories are out of control yeah I feel like people are overthinking it, honestly. They yeah. definitely are. I mean, I want to know when Ray gets her hand cut off. So, oh, so you're you're totally team Ray Skywalker? Yes. So because I really just I don't think the film's going to try to be anything more than face value. That's kind of half of the appeal of Star Wars, honestly. Yeah, it's a fun family space adventure. I could I think I could see either Ray Skywalker or Ray Kenobi are the only ones that I feel like would be thematically like would fit with like both thematically and with the kind of story that um star wars is not ray force divergence or whatever um, that was. like or like ray yeah that ray is a no one no no yeah. no no no. that ray is reincarnated anakin basically uh what, what was yeah, it she, she's like all virgin birth midichlorian ray <sighs> if they I mean, that would be too much whole... of a reference to the prequels for my taste right like if I'd they bring surprised. back the whole like midichlorian thing like i i might yell <laughs> <laughs> Loudly. There's a lot of a Ray solo theories too, which I think are not good, but. Meaning that she's Han's daughter, but not Han Leia's? And, no, Han and Leia's daughter. I guess she'd be like Ray Organa. Yeah. Um, I've heard yeah, that. Yeah, she'd too. be Organa. Yeah. Yeah. But th- I just don't see how they could leave a daughter. I mean, that's just... like the Raylos would be a little upset with the. <laughs> See, that's what I was like, like, the joy of the Star Wars fandom is you never ship anything until the end of the saga. Oh, yeah, right. right? (laughs) I'm sure Luke and Leia shippers, yeah. Yeah. There's always Han and Leia. Luke and Leia shippers were crushed after A New Hope. Or you just ship it anyway. I mean, not like I would know personally. I'm saying that for a friend, right? You shipped Luke and Leia? Yes, I do. It's a victimless crime. And also, also OT3. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fine. I won't deny you these. Never deny me an OT3, Kylie, ever. (laughs) I have no Star Wars ships because there are not enough women in Star Wars to justify a ship. That is true. That's why you need to get into the extended canon. What about like Padme and Shmi? Oh my gosh, no! (laughs) Didn't they? Didn't they completely eliminate the EU? Well, I mean, extent new extended canon, new canon. You have Ahsoka, who's definitely queer. Yeah, Ahsoka is like basically she's bi. I mean, she's clearly by. Uh, look, Elizabeth, you can, you can ship Nymeria Sand and Ray. <laughs> what? Nymeria. Oh a, no, uh, you're talking about the actress, not the yeah, character. Yeah, Jessica Henwick is a, Jesus, uh, Kylie. a pilot. We are going to get a new female character in Bruce. the next Star Wars movie, who was briefly shown in the trailer. Yeah, excellent. Yes. Is she is she from like an Earth esque planet where they have roses? She's an en- I don't know. I just know she's an engineer. She's an engineer the, with the resistance. The, the name just struck me as odd. Rose. Yeah, it does seem out of universe. Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm excited. Uh, Kelly Marie Tran is adorable, and it's yes. exciting to see an Asian American actor in a prominent role in Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. Because that has never happened before ever. Other than I remember Rogue in Return One. of the Jedi, there was one Asian pilot who died. Like, the only shot of him is him, like, screaming as he died. Yeah. Yeah. But and I then, Rogue, I mean, Rogue One, we got, um, Cherit, 
Yeah, turret and wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I just kind of have a thing for adorable lady engineers also. <laughs> like, like, cause it gives, not, not because I studied engineering. I mean, because of Kaylee from Firefly. Right. Yes. That's exactly yes. what I was thinking. Rose yeah. totally reminds me of Kaylee just visually. Right. Exactly. And that's just like really exciting to me because Kaylee was by far the best character in Kate Firefly. Kate Winnegan Lee Fry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just not even, not even close. Yeah. That's to true. anyone else. Well, I, I'm an, I'm a major in Yaristan, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there are people who are speculating that she will be a love interest for Finn because I think that they were shooting scenes together. Kelly Marie Tran and and if they're shooting scenes together, it means there must be love interest thing going on, right? Yeah, right. That's the only thing that ever Mm -hmm. happens. I have no issue with that. Uh, I was a little bit of a storm pilot shipper, so yeah, I like storm pilot. Yeah, so but I mean, it's again, it's Disney. Uh, is there, like, anything else we could say about this? I'm just, I'm, I'm hype. Oh, oh, actually one thing I did want to say is that there was, like, this thing, oh, they put it together with the Force Awakens teaser and it's exactly the same and, like, every single beat is the same. But as it turns out- trailer. Well, at- Yeah. They didn't even put it with a trailer. They just mashed up, like, oh, here's an explosion, we'll put an explosion. So, like, it was just mashed up with Force Awakens scenes, not a trailer. So it was misleading. I mean, just the observation that trailers are kind of samey is not that groundbreaking. Yeah, but right. like, you know, for it to be shot by shot, that would be a really lazy on Disney's part. I'm glad it wasn't that. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I'm, I'm hyped. Yeah. The, the end. <laughs> I'm excited to see more Luke because I love him and I want more of him. I on like Green Hamill. Mm-hmm. And he uses his Joker voice. Oh, He's he did been... a, uh, by the way, he did the bad lip reading of Force Awakens oh and he gosh. voiced, uh, Han Solo in it. Because <laughs> <What? laughs> he's a troll. I love Mark Hamill so much. He's a delightful He's, human being. And he does like such a wonderful Han too. He's just like, I'm a cranky pants. Like, it's not, it's not like, it doesn't oh sound God. like Harrison or anything, but it's just a really funny voice. So. I need did to... you think he sent it to Harrison for it though? Oh, I hope he did. Harry, Harrison would. hates all the Harrison Ford hates all the fandom stuff surrounding this. Yeah, he he had an interview where they're like, "Oh, are you looking forward to just watching these movies as a fan?" He's like, "Nope, nope." <laughs> he's, I mean, it's no kind secret of that he's yeah, it's no secret that he's wanted out. Yeah, he yeah he wanted to be killed off an Empire. That's why he was frozen in carbonite. Yep. <laughs> oh, I love Boss so much. All right, anyway. we got to move on though. It's time for the Jedi. All right, so now it's time for our penultimate maximum adaptation. Are you excited? Oh, we're yes. that, we're that close to the end? Yeah, there's only seven of them because it's a magical number. Um, oh, yeah, that's fitting. <laughs> number of completion. Exactly. Well, uh, for those of you who are just joining us, hi. Um, <laughs> in this series, we are looking at the maxims of adaptation that were enumerated by um, David Oshelsnik, the mastermind behind Gone with the Wind. And he liked to dictate memos while he was high on methamphetamines. And one of them uh, was a memo to the screenwriter for Gone with the Wind, where he basically just talked about the things he should keep in mind as he was uh, translating Gone with the Wind from from a book to a movie, and very successfully, as it turned out. Uh, so maximum number six is basically to cut out or minimize material uh, that includes inescapable problematic implications in the minds of the contemporary audience. Um, and to put this in a Gone with the Wind context, uh, there is quite an extensive subplot in the book that deals with the Ku Klux Klan and its role in Reconstruction. Mm. And um, this was about the time that the Klan was becoming really big again. This was the, uh, the movie was made in 1939. And it was kind of, it was like a, like, there was a clan that was around during Reconstruction and somehow different from the clan that was around in the 20s and 30s. I'm not sure how. But basically his his argument was that there should make no explicit mention of the clan in the movie because, like, the audience will immediately associate it with the clan that they knew in the 30s that was more racist and anti-Semitic than the one that was around during Reconstruction. I don't know how. I know nothing about the clan. But um this is a, like... um this requires a little bit of thought because if you remember from last time, the previous adaptational maxim was not to whitewash situations or characters. Mm-hmm. And so, like, shouldn't we not be shying away from the fact that, like, all these characters were in the fucking clan? Um, but no, he said because, like, you should definitely use extreme caution in these kind of situations, especially when there's a risk of kind of making 
making a moral kind of equivalency that the text didn't didn't really intend. And also when you risk demonizing a marginalized or exploited group, because the situation with the clan involves like that classic clan narrative of a white woman being raped by a black man, of the crazy mm. savage black man, you know? And so, oh, and she's like, we should definitely not emphasize that part of the narrative. Cause he said very explicitly, I don't want to be making an anti-black movie. In any way, shape, or form. Which is funny when you watch Gone with the Wind now, and in certain ways it hasn't aged well when it comes to race relations. I was going to say, that's that's (laughs) supposed to be... But, like, at the time, like, the, like, the race relations in that movie were a little groundbreaking. Like, this is the first time a black actor won an Oscar was for Gone with the Wind, you know? So, um, and what this really reminds me of is how they did kind of the opposite of this in one of my candidates for the worst adaptation ever, the 1999 version of Mansfield Park, where uh, <laughs> Mr. Thomas, um, canonically in the books, he his fortune is from sugar plantations in Antigua, which means he's a slave owner. That's kind of inescapable. Yep. But, like, it's clear in the text that, like, this, like, even though Jane Austen was uh, an abolitionist and a rather committed one, this, this like, wasn't kind of a big deal. I mean, it, it was it was kind of there because, you know, Sir Thomas and his family, they're kind of, they're kind of like a corrupting influence on Fanny. But, mm. like, Sir Thomas is a very sympathetic character who has quite a bit of integrity, but in the movie they kind of play up this slave owner angle and, like, make things very explicit to really, really, really blackwash him, like really blackwash him. It's a little ridiculous. Yeah. And, like, it, it's it's really bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, well, they have this whole thing where his like eldest son like went with him to Antigua and he came back all disillusioned with him because he was like a horrible rapist and everything. Just like, where did you get this? It's not in the text. Yeah, because like the son has like drawings yeah. that he made of like his father with like like having non-consensual sex with a slave. It's yeah. it's really oh, weird. It's really not what the text intended. Yeah, not at all. I mean, but like, but the implications are there. Like, the man is a slave owner. Like, you can't really escape mm-hmm. that. But, like, values dissonance, you know? And if you emphasize that, you end up with a vision of the character that is not what you're meant to take away from the text. Like, you know, Sir Thomas is, like, an overly distant, overly rigid kind of ma- a father who wants something for his children, but he doesn't know how to get it, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, the fact that he's, like, a slave owner and he has, you know, his land and his property are so far away and he's also kind of distant and neglectful of that, too, you know? It's, like, it's it's not... The point is not supposed to be that he's a horrible, like, rapist you know that's not supposed to be the point even though that might be true (laughs) so would the idea behind this be that like if there's if there's something that would get in the way Mm -hmm. of a like nuanced um interpretation of a character that that is something that should go because that seems to be kind of the point is like focusing on like him being a slave owner would like Mm -hmm. get in the way of a more like accurate and nuanced picture of him. Yeah, and this is kind of like the opposite side of the coin of Maxim number five that talks about, like, you shouldn't shy away from, like, a sympathetic character and what yeah. the, val- the value dissonance makes him do. Mm-hmm. As in, you shouldn't... You shouldn't, you shouldn't whitewash. Like, it's not whitewashing, though. It's just kind of, like, taking the character as the text sees him rather than as you see him. Yeah, well, I think it's also just keeping that modern day audience in mind, yeah. I think is a big right. piece of that. Um, if, if I can bring an example into this that's very recent, and I apologize, I haven't actually watched the premiere yet. It's for White Princess, which is a new stars show. And it's based on Philippa Gregory's novel, The Right White Princess, which is about, yeah, uh, the white, basically King, the white King Henry the Seventh. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. previous series. Based on the same author's work. Yeah, yeah. So this is about uh, Henry the Seventh's marriage to um, Elizabeth of York. It's it's during the uh, War of the Roses that era, and there 
so they're adapting it. It's an adaptation. But Emma Frost, the executive producer, says that in Gregory's work, Henry very actively rapes Lizzie. And she goes, that was something that I felt wasn't the only possible route and wasn't the only and wasn't something I feel is right for a TV drama and isn't something a 21st century female audience is going to be okay with on any level. And she kind of keeps going on to clarify, I've actually never seen anyone just be so blunt about this. Um, she goes, when you read the novel and it's something you go, oh, okay, that's a very, very clear rape. And yet we have to fall in love with Henry later. That's not going to fly. And mm-hmm. as a responsible TV producer in a world we're in with women's rights being eroded, there's no way we're putting that on the screen. Right. I have feels right now. Yeah. Um. Now, you know, who, who would be great to have a person like this in a certain room at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> hmm. okay, I mean, look at this. It's a, a women, a women running a show, and uh, yeah, that's the we result. Don't want to I put mean, gratuitous rape on the scene for no reason. Wow. I, I've that. heard some people say that they actually still did some problematic stuff. They just pretended they didn't. But like, at the same time, I, I think that this is still the right way to go in a modern day audience. And especially with uh, a visual medium versus a I mean, like, especially medium, like right? if you think like you know, Philip Gregory is a contemporary author. But like, if you think about like, you know, how Elizabeth with York would view this relationship. Right. You know? And uh, what some people are saying is that putting it into the book didn't even really make a ton of sense. It was just almost like mm. the author's vendetta in some ways. Mm. And and I think the other thing too is there is a difference in how something will play out to a visual audience yeah, than how something will... So like, you know, we talk about nudity on Game of Thrones a lot. Like, in the books there's a uh, scene where Danny just has a tit hanging out of one of her dresses. Because that's, that's the style in Karth. And that's what she does. And it, it would be inherently much more voyeuristic and weird to do that on the TV show. I mean, there are ways, like, you know, they manage to do it on Swedish TV all the time, but just... Yeah, part of that is American audiences and the over-sexualization of female breasts. I mean, like, in Swedish TV, they they have, like, you know, flaccid penises all the time. Just, they're there. People are walking Mm -hmm. around their house naked. Well, we we got two this year for Game of Thrones, but, um, what what I'm saying is, I think it's not just the situation Mm -hmm. of values dissonance either, where something has changed in a historical context, but it's also just considering, like, you know what? Maybe this didn't even play in the book as well as like they thought it did and just really keeping the essence of the character in mind but there's still other paths like the like the producer said there's other paths that you could take to achieve these results and achieve these uh relationships and these dynamics without necessarily doing something that's problematic Mm -hmm. i mean when you have i mean we're we're kind of stepping our own toes because i know i know what the finale of the series is going to be but um when you have that like when you have things like rape and abuse and you know, shooting people in the head, like, you know, something like very extreme and violent and that you know is going to affect your audience. You should always be very careful and only use it if you think it's absolutely necessary to make your point. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like the famous example that I kind of always use is in Assassins, they use the N-word. They use it once and it's extremely effective and you can't not use it, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, you can tell that that was done with very... Careful consideration. Careful thought. Yeah. That's in uh, that's in the original Ballad of Booth. Yes. If anyone wants to take a listen to it, it's probably one of the most powerful songs mm-hmm. that I've ever heard. Uh, it's funny because in a lot of like high school and like university productions, they have a black student play that because nobody else wants to say it. They, so they have a black student play William uh, Wilkes Booth, John Wilkes Booth. But yeah, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it gets complicated. But yeah. yeah, I think I think it is one of those things. Do we really need to do this? Mm-hmm. And you can really be challenging like, hey, there's something problematic here. There's something that's going to play a certain way. Let's just at least talk about it before yeah. we put it on the screen. And just like and like and and like that example, like the less you use it, the more effective it is when you do. So mm. yeah, so like yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk about Game of Thrones. I really don't. Talk about assassins instead. <laughs> Much better. Uh, Much better adaptation of Song of Ice and Fire at this point. Oh my god! <laughs> I hate that you're right, but you're totally right. Oh or we could just listen to my cover of Ballad of Booth. <laughs> Well, like something that's related to that was reading something today about, um, about Oscar Schindler. Um, so, I mean, it's not necessarily an, I guess you could call it an adaptational decision in that you're adapting history to film when they made Schindler's List is, um, one of the things they leave out, I think in the film is just how much of kind of a skis he was early on. 
He was like, like a failed businessman. Like it was all about the money to him. Yeah. Right, it was. It was all about the money and he very like specifically actually like courted um Nazi like businessmen because for him like he saw that he could make money uh, like with the rising star of, you know, the Nazi party in Germany. Um and it wasn't until like and he hired a bunch of Jewish workers because um they were cheaper. Yeah. Um, I mean, the book, Les Schindler's Ark, definitely gets into the sex character. Right. And they, I think they leave, I mean, that's something that I understand leaving out of a film adaptation because I think leaving that in, as much as I understand, like, think it's a powerful story of like a, a man who like is confronted with his own privilege by being around a marginalized group of people and then decides to be a decent human being. Like, I can understand like adapting that for cinema and that like leaving that part in, I think would have, been harder for the audience to swallow. Well, they hinted at it a bit too yeah. in the yeah. film. Is that especially? I feel like their nod to it was the last scene where he's pulling off his jewelry. Like this ring would be another three more. This watch another ten. So it's not that they didn't touch on it. I just don't felt they need. They didn't feel like they needed to harp on it. Well, yeah, and that's what I mean. Like they leave it out because, like, I don't think that the audience would have received that aspect of his life. Like, I well, think does this it, sort of go back? I think it would have made Sorry, it harder for people to um to sympathize with him and appreciate him in a way that like leaving in the the KKK with Gone with the Wind would have made it harder to like sympathize with and appreciate the characters for who they are. Well, this kind of goes yeah. back to that that maxim about if you don't know that you can do it well, yeah. then don't do it at all. Yes, I agree with right. that. Exactly. So, if you yeah. can't if you can't do this nuance in a film, or you don't feel like it would be appropriate, then just skip it entirely. It's better than doing it badly. Right. Especially yeah. if you know that the audience is predisposed to react strongly in a negative way to this aspect of the story. Yeah, and that's and not your intention. Yeah, right. and, and at the same time, too, like, this is crafting a narrative out of history, too. So mm-hmm. it's what what do you want your story to be, and how do these implications change it? Right. It, it, does it lessen the message at all? Mm-hmm. Um, right. So... It's- History is written by the winners. <laughs> yes. Then yes, it gets it complicated when you have history becoming literature. Like we talk sometimes about like historical Anne Boleyn versus Anne Boleyn as a literary figure and how yes. like Anne Boleyn mm-hmm. as a literary figure is not unimportant or unvalid. It's just she has not much to do with. Right. Yeah, and then there's the like Tudor fandom like, people. Yeah. So it gets really complicated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's actually a good segue of things getting complicated because we're going to get all complicated up in here coming up. We must have been mad to think we could kill a president and get away with it. We did get away with it. All right, for our final segment, and what I know Elizabeth is champing at the bit to discuss, there are some tensions in fandom, not like in a bad way, just uh, there are pushes and pulls on certain ways. Hashtag. Hashtag the discourse. <laughs> the discourse. It's not just the discourse, though. I'm just going to say, like, in, in any sort of way of engaging with media, there's just certain directions you can be pulled in, one way or the other. And it's kind of like choose your own adventure style. But one thing that <laughs> I have found is a sort of canon, like a, like a, a adherence to canon. And a lot of times we talk about uh, curative fans, too. This is a big thing where, like, how I engage is getting really deep into this canon, learning everything I can about this, piecing together theories, blah, da, da, whatever it is. And it doesn't have to just be curative, but I'm saying that's, like, one aspect versus more transformative ways of engaging with fandom, be it crack shipping, be it AU fix, be it fix it fix. Mm-hmm. I'm so bad at speaking words right now. <laughs> and... You know, uh, where this gets, it's not hairy, but where there is a lot of discussion, and I think sometimes room for, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Tension. Tension and debate, yeah, sure, is uh, with representation and how it can an engagement and transformative engagement sort of play off of each other and create very uh, bizarre sides of the fandom mm. <laughs> at times. <laughs> at times. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, there's like, you know, when there, there's some people that have a very like specific interpretation of a relationship, but this isn't, this isn't even a bad thing. It's, it could just be like, oh, here's a canon relationship. 
And they once mentioned, like, we need to go and get, like, batteries for something. And then all of a sudden there's going to be all these, like, memes and fan art about these characters getting batteries for everything. And then so that suddenly becomes, uh... like, the guiding thing in their relationship. And they become the, you know, queens of batteries or whatever the <laughs> fuck it is. This is a weird example I'm picking, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, like, this is what happened. Someone mentions they like orange juice once. Well, orange okay. Orange juice has meaning in Supergirl, but. It's the uh, green ribbons, gardenias, and gold stars from Glee with Faberi. <laughs> yes, yeah. Mm. Exactly. Um so I guess I guess a start a good starting point for conversation is just like what what do we do? Is what we get as the canon is that the end all be all? Do we just say thank you and that's it? Mm. And any engagement beyond that that's yeah. just on us. Depends. Depends on how good the canon is. Exactly. That's where it gets woolly. <laughs> Right. Right. Because for me, like, it's like not all, even if you have like good representation, like if you're a marginalized community, does that mean that like whatever that canon representation is has to be like the most important thing for all members of that community? Does like canon rep stand for all members of a community, even if they don't identify with or feel strongly represented by the canon story? Like that's yeah. where it gets so complicated to me. Mm-hmm. And that, it's not even just representation, just like quality like the star trek the fandom with the most fanfics has always been star trek voyager mm-hmm. and the consensus seems to be because the characters are such blank slates even after seven seasons <laughs> oh my gosh that's not like, a lot you kind of have to write fanfic to get any meaning out of it yeah yeah i totally see that yeah oh, that's so funny well that's that's why there's so much fem slash fanfic is because there's yeah. so little content that exactly. often you do have to fill in humongous gaps yeah. in the canon yeah, even with, you know, like, hi, I'm the biggest core zombie shipper around. And <laughs> no. I, I admit, like, no, maybe not. Um, but the loud, the most vociferous, <laughs> I think I can take that label. No, I, I, I mean, you know, for what it was for the Y7 show, for it being groundbreaking at the time, everything they did, like, it felt perfect the the, time as like I was watching ago. it. Yeah. At the time was three years ago, and at this point, of course they could have flushed things out more, and of course I'm getting more engagement flushing it out on the fix side of things. Like, mm-hmm. naturally, that's that's going to happen. There's always room for, uh, I, you know, representation to be better. Or, or as Gretchen was saying, like, more personally resonating. Right. Like, I, I have nothing really bad to say about Sanvers and Supergirl. I think the relationship's really cute and supportive. But it just doesn't connect to me and doesn't connect to my experiences. Like, at See, Maggie Sawyer is so similar to me that, like, you'll have to pry that shit from my cold, dead hands. Mm. Oh, that's great! That's fine! <laughs> well, yeah, because, like, Korosabi isn't really my thing, but... Right, and, like, I am a Sabi, so... Right. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, acknowledge, I acknowledge that the ship is incredibly important to many people. Like, even to the point, like, the, we have some friends from a convention who have uh, engagement photos as Korosami. Yeah, you know, like, this is a very important ship, but, like... Do they have party you know, buns? Um, party buns? This is wearing bangles. This is Cor- not going to make any sense to Elizabeth, guys. You should stop. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, but Elizabeth won't. <laughs> Neither will our audience, is that what you're trying to say? I just have to... I was going to say, I, just, I watched the show once through, and that's it. In the, in the final scene, when they, like, have their conversation of significance, Cora has, like, a banging party bun that she's wearing. <laughs> And Coruscant's oh, bangles right. okay. is like a running joke for Kylie on her on her I Tumblr. Don't, I, I don't know how we get to the places we get. Yes, I frequently like... forget that you're Tumblr famous. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I just, she made Sami's wardrobe Tumblr famous. More to the point. Oh my gosh! But, <laughs> see, see, I'm that person. I'm that person with the batteries. To bring to bring the straight uh. experience back into this conversation. Because oh, somebody has to. Um, <laughs> but like, um, yeah, I, I felt the same way about Han and Leia. Like, I identified with that relationship, and like, you know, that's like, yeah, that's exactly how I am in relationships. And but like, Empire Strikes Back is awesome, but still, that relationship is like bare bones. Yeah, you have yeah. to fill it in. You have to, you have to like spend most of your adolescence fantasizing about the sex they had on the way to Bespin. It's just required. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Well, yeah, because no one else is going to fill in those details for exactly. you. But it. I feel like the modern era is really what's complicating this. Yeah. Especially with queer queer ships that um, I felt like the divide really started to get strong in like the last two years 
maybe two or three, because you actually do have canon ships and we don't have to create all this content for ourselves. And for someone like me, who's been looking for gay content for like about 15 years now, (laughs) I'm so, so tired of doing half the work. I just want to consume media the way that straight people can. Mm-hmm. I just want to be able to sit down and watch this thing and have it delivered to me on a silver platter, which is why I love Mass Effect so much. I'm currently debating between four different women. Four! <laughs> One of them's coded Jewish. Yes! And she uh, got an anaphylactic shock from licking a rock on a foreign planet because she I just mean, did it out of reflex to do the fossil test. But I'm wondering if it's not not the grass is always greener situation. I don't want to be like, oh, well, you just don't get it. I'm, I'm, based on what Julia is saying, it sounds like maybe straight people have had to be doing a bit of work too. <laughs> See, and that's, that's true. And yes. that's a thing. Like, as someone that's who's not a representation of... thing ever. It's no, but a like, writing thing. Like, the writing happened to be shallow there, but it's not that I couldn't you know, go find another relationship that was perfectly well fleshed out. Well, and then, and totally. And I think there's a, there's something to be said for the fact that like, I spent most of my life believing that I was a straight person. Um, and I can say like for a fact that the issues that we see in the, in the queer community right now were in all of the fandoms I was involved in as a child, as a straight person, it was just straight ships. I think that like even well-written ships, like, um, well-written straight ships, people would be like, yeah, but I don't like that. I like that's this, true, I yeah. like this other crack fic that, like, this other crack ship that's, like, not on the show. I like it better, even though that, like, what I'm getting is a well-done romance between these two characters. I don't like them. I like these other two characters as a romantic pairing, even though that's not yeah. canon. Well, if I, if I may, we all know that there's 16 personality types in the world. Um, <laughs> and then and only... <laughs> there are only, and and then beyond that, every single person who fits neatly into one of these boxes perfectly has their own background that they're taking into everything mm-hmm. and their own experiences. And what what someone finds so compelling and gripping, especially about how romances are perceived, and and you know, it's not just romances, but uh, like our last episode that we talked about last week, representation we didn't know we needed. Right. It, it we mm-hmm. didn't really. I mean, I guess Julia talked about Polly, but um, you know, we were talking about younger siblings that are responsible and Yiddish. <laughs> so yeah, just like the stuff we engage with, and there just tends to be a lot of focus on relationships because I think relationships tend to drive plot of yeah. a lot of shows. Yeah. They do, and, and so it makes and relationships are always important parts of people's identity. Like we, we, mm. we, we all have like non-normative sexual identities that are very important to us, and like you know, we, we think of ourselves as like you know, I am, I am Polly. That's part of my identity, right? And yeah. Like, and, and like, it, it, I was doing it earlier in this me, episode yeah. where I was talking about, like, you know, Star Wars OT3s. <laughs> like, yeah, you were. <laughs> just like, we want, we want to, like, you know, put some of ourselves into the things we love. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, yeah, exactly. I think that's what I was trying to get at, Julia, is mm-hmm. that, like, it's so ineffable what draws us in that. Yeah. Right. We all kind of want to be a little transformative. Like, Elizabeth, you definitely want that obviously non-Jew Scottish lady to actually be Jewish, right? <laughs> yes. Um, it's it's coded, but it's not canon. That's, exactly. And like, that's, okay, this is sort of what I was touching on earlier when I asked whether or not, did, do they kiss on screen? This sort of just comes from that same exhaustion of having to write it myself for so mm-hmm. long that actually seeing myself on screen, even if it's not a perfect fit, it's good enough. Oh... So that's what I mean, like, when I sort of say, like, is it canon? And people do get sort of frustrated with that, especially the slash crowd. But what I what I am very poorly articulating is, can I just consume this? Yeah. Or am I going to have to start doing my homework? Am I going to have to start writing my own fic and reading fic and do- looking at fan oh, art? Or can I, I just enjoy it as canon? I'm, like, not laughing at you. But I'm so completely the opposite in yeah. how I want to engage that if I find any relationship compelling, like if I find a dynamic compelling, I want to be diving into it and like analyzing it in every way and thinking about all the. I want to do all this. Yes, this I do that. So, but fun. I want. I, I do that. But I want, want official. To. I want official. No, I, I do the analysis. I want official screen caps. I want okay. them to kiss on screen. I don't want them to be manipulations. I want there to be a canon canon uh, story, and then I want to be able. To diverge away from that in fanfic, not have to fill the gaps. 
I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So more like AU as opposed to fix it fix. So you are just tired. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm a tired lesbian. That's yeah, that's, really just that's like tired, truth. tired with a capital T and a trademark symbol. That's what I'm getting. Yes. Out. Yes. You're exactly right. But I, you might not ever get what you want. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Because you might, you might get, you know, a lesbian relationship, but it still won't you be know exactly what? what you want. But here's the thing: I can get exactly what what I want. You know why? Because the Mass Effect and Dragon Age games exist, and you have agency. <laughs> No, but here, but this is actually important. No, you yeah. have agency in those plots. You can choose your own path. You have the ability to affect the conversations. You can literally play yourself if you want. Yeah. So it's sort of a different dynamic yeah. than watching something passively. This is why I lean so hard on games is because I like the element of agency in my storytelling. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, for the younger, perkier queer women, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think we can, like, begrudge anyone trying to find very oh no absolutely not i love how interested younger people are in fandom culture and how much they produce that's great yeah it's just you know i'm old and grumpy that's just me (laughs) i'm over here in my little cottage by the sea in my rocking chair and on the other side of the hill i'm watching the fandom wars and the fall of the roman empire you're just like you're just like a grumpy cat staring at her being like y'all are being too dramatic yes just okay, knock it yeah. off. It's not that bad. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th- I do think um, dialogue can get pretty amplified pretty fast, too, is another thing. Because you can, wh- I think what happens is that people engage in a transformative way and mm-hmm. find so much um, validation through that. Yeah. That then seeing, it's not, it, you, you then see the potential that isn't there on your screen, right? Because it's like, yes. well, I just created this over here. And it's like, because I'll admit, like, I sometimes get a little frustrated with what I got out of, you know, for Korosami when I'm like, but the, all they had to do was have this one conversation between these two girls. Like, But Kylie, you and I have talked about this. I mean, we've bounced headcanons off of each other. Like, in some cases, I'm a... You know what it is? Glee burned me out on transformative or correction <laughs> oh my fiction. God. I really think that that was... That's the and then what happened on the hundred. I think those two events back to back. That was what sort of got me to this point where I'm just like, does it happen on screen? Do they? Do they? Does somebody die? No, good. I'll watch it. <laughs> yeah. No. I. I know. I, I know mean, like saying. you have like a point. Like it really should not be that much to ask to just have some queer representation every once in a while. It's you know? like the Bechdel test. It's so yeah. simple and yet so many things fail it so epically. Like, why can't Even you just Bella reflect normal it. human behavior in your media? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we get it. We yeah. just might, like, have someone horribly murdered three seconds later. Yeah. So. Which I guess is also something that happens. I don't know. Yeah. Days. Yeah, it is. Uh, are we over time? Yeah, but it usually does. I guess it does. I don't know. I was gonna say it usually doesn't happen with such a neat little pattern, but it does, I guess. Okay. <laughs> uh, Gretchen, did you have any final thoughts on? Nah, can't think of anything. <laughs> okay. We're just tired. We're all oh, tired. Oh god. Well, I, I think a question is: Does because you can find such validation? I think the the final thing I want to toss out to the group is because you can find such validation through transforming like transforming the narrative does that cheapen canon at all nope it doesn't happen <laughs> okay it doesn't have that was to. easy it d- depends how good canon is again yeah that's true I mean, you can like you know you had like a couple hundred words in the bible and you have joseph the maid in secular drink coat <laughs> you know like yeah it doesn't cheapen the story it just like you know fleshes it out as someone with a big theater background and a big background in fine arts, like, yeah, fan work is so much a part of human culture, of human art, that it you can't separate it. Like, transformative work or adaptive work, it's always going to be part of how we create art. It's that themes carry over, but not necessarily settings. Yeah. Or that, you know, you write a fix-a-fic, like Tolkien created a plot twist because the ending of Macbeth pissed him off. You know? Like, things like that. <laughs> oh, and just, like, like, the way that we consume a story is also a story in itself. And, like, you're, you're kind of... You're, That's very lyrical. Yeah, Julia. but it's like, you're kind of, your personal... The, the, the effect that a story has on you is also something that is worth writing about and discussing. Yes. 
And not, the thing is, it's like not all transformative works have to somehow fix anything about the original canon. Like some of it can be like, you know, people like, I think more like Kylie and I were like, sometimes I write fic just because I want to explore more of what, more than what canon has. And not because canon is bad or even that canon is faulty or even missing anything. It's just exactly how I feel about my fan fiction. Right. Yeah, it's when like, I wrote it, that's what I did. It's an extent, it's in, sometimes it can be just an extension of, I love this so much. I want to explore other scenes that we don't get in the book. Not because, yeah. not because it's spotty, if that makes sense. Like, it's not necessarily because, like, it's a blank slate or this is, like, spotty storytelling. It's just, like, a canon is limited. Yeah, like, yeah, like I, I wouldn't call any of my fix fix its I change some things here and there, but I think, I think, yeah, it's, it's all just to flesh it out because you have a narrow lens through which you're viewing it. That's just how stories are constructed. Right. I just want to know about this side character's grandma. Right. Like, I want to expand the world. Like, transformative works can be expansive, can be a way to, right. like, I want to make this world that I enjoy bigger. Or even See, this canon, kind of like. like, fic, or canon, uh, not canon fic, this canon relationship. Like, yeah. I want to see more of that. Um, yeah, I totally agree. So, yeah, like, I don't think transformative works have to be necessarily constraining or cheapen canon. Like, in some ways, like, certain forms of transformative works can expand and enrich and enliven canon. I, I 100% agree. I guess maybe not cheapen, but does it ever create unreasonable expectations? Do you oh, think? that's yes. a good question. Oh, yes. Oh, you mean like <laughs> I mean when you're waiting years and years and years between installments, <laughs> and you just well, get way too excited. <laughs> there's well, no, I was just thinking there's a there's a certain ship that I've recently had a falling out with, um, because you have that problem of wishful thinking that turns into expectations mm-hmm. of something that was never planned for and never explicitly included in the canon, and because people see what they want to see, they get genuinely angry when it's not presented in canon. And like yeah. a really part of this is Tumblr culture because it's so insulated. Because I, I, we all are susceptible to um, confirmation biases, yeah. right? right? Of course. So there, there's always going to be that tension of things. And then I don't even know if it's specific to Tumblr because I think like really any engagement with fandom, no matter what platform we are on, you are choosing the way that you engage mm. and you're just inherently going to choose the things that make you feel happier to read. Right. Than, unless you like really love fighting people, which some people do. <laughs> but for the most part, well, yeah. Sometimes but, like, I wonder. But well, Tumblr like, is, yeah. I, I, Tumblr is sort of cast ty- typecast, sorry, as stay in your lane, right? Quote unquote. And it's very easy, especially now, you can just be two literal ships passing in the night and you're not touching. <laughs> but what joins these two, the bay of these ships is the cannon, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, Kylie. And at some point, one of them is going to run aground. I'm sorry, I need to keep extending this. <laughs> but no, at, at some point, there does need to be a, a you know, someone's expectations are going to be subverted mm-hmm. in some yeah. way. Yeah. And, yes. you know, it, it's not just unique to the Femslash community by any means. Mm-hmm. Like, McCora shippers, oh, no. f- shippers were thrown for a huge loop at the finale. And some people responded gracefully and some didn't. And I think at this point, everyone's, like, pretty cool with where things are now. But I think there is always going to be that inherent... Yeah. Whether it's an expectation or just, I really, really want this with every inch of my body and I'm disappointed. I don't know where that line is, mm. but I do know that that di- disappointment, no matter what, is not, like, invalid. It's it also just- not, it's not unique to fandom. Like, you, no. you cry, like, there are, there are people who cry when their sports teams lose the, fina- exactly. the finals. Mm-hmm. It's just, you that. are, if you're emotionally <laughs> invested in something, it hurts when you don't get your way. And that's all right. Right. Yeah. Just don't be a dick about it. <laughs> yeah, I think it can be frustrating to witness sometimes when you're especially if you're one of the people feeling good about things mm-hmm. and then because yes, i i know like i just did not understand korasami backlash it's like what's wrong with you monsters <laughs> i am prone to smugness yes i must say this is definitely <laughs> a, a conversation that lends itself to follow-ups we might try to craft out a series or something um because fandom is just so expansive and engaging in fandom mm-hmm. that is so diverse 
But unfortunately for today, we're already running later because Julia's bell went off a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) We're already running later than we intended. So if you liked what we were talking about, leave us a review or a rating or recommend us to your friends and tell them to listen to us because we are super cool. And then buy our merch. Yes, and go buy our t-shirts. Dramatically satisfying actually, t-shirts. Yeah, actually, uh, we're working on revamping the store. I think we're getting, like, we're moving over how the t-shirts are being made, like, wh- which company we're going with, so that we could get you cheaper shirts that have tax and shipping included in the price for better quality. Mm-hmm. And so, three-day delivery. And, yeah, three-day delivery. So if we can swing it, which I think we can, we just need to get things set up, uh, we're going to have, like, 20, 20 buck shirts, and they'll be really nice quality. Mm-hmm. Not, not that they're bad now, it's just... We found a better option after a few days of uh, a few months of running. We're so, learning on our feet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and to, to watch that learning in process, visit thefundamentals.com. And yep, I guess that's it. We should get on out of here. All right. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 But speaking of Star Wars, oh my god! (laughs) Jesus Christ, guys! (laughs) We're like ten minutes in and we're already a mess. I love it. Uh, Are we sober? What's happening? I'm sober. I mean, I've had a lot of caffeine today.